the Los, Los Angeles Rams. The Los Angeles Rams. NFL football. Let's go, let's do it. Rams, has a card season four. Kim Kardashian nude selfies. Marco Rivia suspending the election. Trump 2016. Make the Rams great again. Let's go! why you need family. That's why you have tertial times here with you. What's up? It's your boy, 3K. Good Lord. It's been a while. Things kind of fell off last year. That's uh, I'll take the brunt for that, managing editor. That's kind of my responsibility. But we're back, man. Season 8, Episode 1, Tertial Radio. Thanks to Douglas Morrison for keeping Tertial Radio together uh, in the years past and helping get this back on track. Thanks to all of you guys for listening, and thanks to everyone for participating. It's going to be a fun show tonight. Again, this is Tertio Radio. If you're new to this, uh, you're in for something. I don't know what it is, but you're season eight of a podcast. You know what you're doing. It's going to be messy. Uh, it's your boy 3K. That's at 3K underscore on Twitter. 3K is the name on Tertio Times. You should know that by now. If you don't, then you got problems. But tonight, we're talking about the Tertio Times Tertial Radio and the Los Angeles Rams. It's still kind of weird to say. We don't have to lie about it. We don't think weird. It's still weird to say it. It's like saying Donald Trump presidential candidate. It's just weird. Tertial Radio, Los Angeles Rams. Got a good show tonight. We're going to have uh, Danny Kelly in from Field Goals, the SB Nation site for the Saint, uh, the Seattle Seahawks. I still, I still want to say St. Louis. The Seattle Seahawks. Danny's going to join me. He was uh, with me at the Combine in Indianapolis. Should be fun to hear from him what's going on uh, with the Seahawks. He's part of the 
the onside kick, what is it called? The onside kick family hour. We'll get the official name from him. It's the official uh, podcast from the SB Nation NFL. Good stuff between him, Ryan Van Biver, former managing editor of Tertial Time, obviously SB Nation NFL editor, and Stephen White, former NFL player who's part of that podcast. If you guys don't listen to that, uh, you should definitely check it out. Great educational podcast. The onside, I think it's the onside kick family. I don't remember what it is. I'll have to look it up. We'll figure it out. Uh, after Danny, we're going to have really interesting guests. I think this is going to be fun. Uh, we're going to have Jeff Gray from Red Cup Rebellion. That's the SB Nation community for fans of the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, I'm going to talk about Laquan Treadwell, first and foremost, obviously, on the front uh, of the Ole Miss draft board for NFL fans uh, besides Laramie Tunsil, but certainly for Rams fans. It's going to be a good time. So thanks, everybody, for listening. First off and foremost, if you're listening live, call in numbers 347-857-1022. We're going to get through our guests, and then we'll bring you guys on. I already see a couple of callers in the queue. My goodness. It's a, it's a popular show. You know, Marco Rubio drops up a race and suddenly you guys have nothing better to do. That's fine. We've got nothing better to do but talk about the Rams. Uh, maybe that's a sad thing. We should have better things to do than talk about the Rams, but that's all right. Getting through free agency, that's been a – it's been an interesting road. You know, I obviously, you, when I posted the piece, I think it was called, you know, Rams have decisions to make. Uh, obviously, the big the big issue facing the Rams this offseason, and certainly what Les Snead alluded to when he was at the Combine, I asked him a couple of questions about it, was the fact that they had so many expiring contracts. They had so many people coming out. Out of the 2012 NFL draft, you know, you make that trade for RG3, you get all those rookies and undrafted free agents that uh, – filter through the system and kind of weed out some of the guys from the previous administration, the Spagnuolo, the Vaney era. You're going to have a bunch of guys coming up on expiring contracts. And that was really the challenge going into this free agency era, this free agency period for 2016, was to decide how they wanted to attack it and how they wanted to uh, prioritize who they wanted to bring back. I think the, the difficulty for them was that in priority A, you had some uh, – desirable free agents, guys like Janoris Jenkins and Ronnie McLeod that ended up leaving. Janoris Jenkins heading to New York to meet with the Giants and then Ronnie McLeod going to Philadelphia for the Eagles. It's tough. It's going to be tough to replace those guys. Not necessarily on talent, right? I think that's one of the things that Rams fans lean on is, you know, oh, Janoris Jenkins was overly aggressive. Oh, Ronnie McLeod wasn't that talented. They're not big losses. Well, they were starters in the first place, and there's a reason. If 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 they weren't that great, why were they still, why were they starting anyway, right? And why did why did the Rams lean on them to start over the last couple of years? And it's not just draft position. Ronnie McLeod was undrafted. The Rams have drafted multiple cornerbacks and started EJ Gaines, uh, despite you know a lower draft uh, position. I think clearly the issue was that. Uh, Janoris Jenkins was an athletic guy, incredibly athletic. And Ronnie McLeod was an incredibly intelligent player at the back of a defense that didn't necessarily require a ton of athleticism at the back. What they required was, just like James Laurinaitis in the middle, intelligence and awareness. And that's what Ronnie McLeod brought. And playing alongside TJ McDonald, uh, maybe McLeod's best strength was uh, being in the right position to allow the guys in front of him to make plays. Guys like Janoris Jenkins, guys like Tremaine Johnson, Mark Barron, uh, Alec Ogletree, those kind of guys that kind of filled the gap in front of them. Remember, the Rams don't necessarily run a lot of cover one. They don't run a lot of McLeod at the top. Uh, Maybe that's because of McLeod, because he's not a great pass defender, but 
also because it makes sense to run that kind of a shell and, and fit somebody into that system where uh, if he's not a great athlete, not a great pass defender, you can rely on him and his field uh, generalship, whatever you want to call that, to kind of allow the people in front of him to make plays. And that was kind of what the Rams have run, this kind of shell defense, to put everything in front of them in the middle of the field, uh, essentially a bit of a Tampa too, uh, where they dropped James Laurinaitis back, allowed T.J. McDonald and Bronny McLeod to sit, and then obviously come forward on run support. But otherwise, everything went to the middle of the field. That's why the Rams did so poorly in yards allowed, but did so well overall as a defense. They just pushed everything to the middle of the field and then kind of punished you physically and forced you to take extra downs to gain first first downs that you otherwise wouldn't, wouldn't want to take against other teams, but then to incorporate the physicality that certainly over the course of a game, you go back to that Tampa Bay game two years ago with uh, Austin Davis, I think it's a clear example where Mike Evans uh, catches the ball but ends the game on, on a, I guess you'd say, an injury. Uh, that's kind of the Rams' modus operandi. That's kind of what they're looking for. It's to force you to play to the middle of the field. If you're willing to take it and not make mistakes, they'll give it to you. Otherwise, they're going to force you to make some mistakes and get desperate. And we've seen plenty of teams do that. The problem is they haven't done that enough. But that's kind of what they have to correct going into free agency and heading towards the 2016 NFL draft. Uh, Janoris Jenkins, Rodney McLeod, as we said, are gone now in free agency. Guys that are back, there's a ton of them. Again, 2012 was kind of the wave year, and they brought a bunch of those guys back. Mark Barron, brought over in trade 2014 from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is back. William Hayes, Eugene Sims, the defensive ends behind Robert Quinn and Chris Long. I think that's going to be one of the big issues going into the rest of free agency and the draft. How do they fill that fourth defensive end position? Or do they rely on kind of a Matt Longacre or somebody else coming in UDFA to kind of fill that? That's uh, certainly an option, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to be commensurate with what they've had before, but you got to make value decisions. That's what they did with Janoris Jenkins, right? They offered him that that deal, $9 million a year. It's not that they weren't willing to re-sign Janoris Jenkins. It's just that they made a value decision and he didn't need it. Um, Cody Davis, Tim Barnes, Brian Quick, Folkerts, and today Corey Harkey. So they're bringing back a lot of the role guys. I think that's, you know, one of the things you have to do when you're trying to keep a team together. You've got to uh, – you, you got to make the big decisions at the top of the roster, but sometimes the harder decisions come later on. You know, guys like Tim Barnes. Um, the Rams have certainly struggled at center since they signed Scott Wells, and he struggled to be healthy, and then even when he was in the 2013-14, uh, struggled with the productivity at, at what you would expect out of a Pro Bowl-level uh, center previously during his time in Green Bay. But with Tim Barnes, you know, it, it wasn't great. The question is, does he have something extra that he hasn't given? He just got through his rookie contract, re-signing him to a second contract. Does he have enough to elevate his play on at the center level? And how much of that is due to the guards around him, you know, playing with guys like Roger Saffold who got uh, injured, uh, Jermon Brown as a rookie, and then Garrett Reynolds, uh, plenty of volatility, and Tim Barnes has certainly been through plenty of that, you know, coming through a reserve guy. So it's not like he's had plenty of uh, experience with the guys around him. And even going into the end of the preseason last year, switching Roger Saffold and Jermon Brown side to side, you know, it's not as if Barnes had a plenty of consistency to be able to work on. We'll have to see. I guess the big move in free agency, though, for the Rams was signing Cody Sensenball yesterday, new cornerback coming from the Tennessee Titans, a team that the Rams have certainly made plenty of moves with before. You can go down the list. We listed them in the piece on the uh, Times, Kenny Britt, William Hayes, Jared Cook, at Al, plenty of others, 
Um, you know, I, I don't read too much into that idea necessarily that they're uh, signing guys from the same team, and that's necessarily something specific. I, I think the bigger issue is, you know, they had to replace Janoris Jenkins, and as failure drill notes in the live Tersho radio uh, open thread, they had to replace his hilarious tweets and hashtags. That's impossible. You're never going to replace Strip Club Ready. You're never going to replace Clamp Season. There is no other Jackrabbit. There's only one, and that was Janoris Jenkins. On the field, though, when you when you push EJ Gaines perhaps into a starting role, Lamarcus Joyner coming into year three, Trumaine Johnson on a franchise tag, you got you got three deep at the top of the of the depth chart at cornerback that perhaps should be sufficient. I just wonder if Cody Sensabaugh as the fourth guy is going to be good enough. You look back last year, if the fourth guy was Lamarcus Joyner, right, and EJ Gaines got injured and he got pushed into a third role, Marcus Robinson was in the fourth how that's going to work out now with sense of ball coming over as a free agent. We'll have to see the free agent, you know, market hasn't been great for the Rams. It's not great for anybody. I, I don't necessarily uh, dock the Rams for that. I know everybody likes to hit, you know, uh, me and Tersha times are being negative and being salty for St. Louis and all that fun stuff, but we're not going to get into that now. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, but I think one of the things we're going to have to look at moving forward is, and I think this is part of the biggest issue with the Rams uh, going into this free agency period and going into this draft is this is the, really the first time that they've had to replace Jeff Fisher products with Jeff Fisher decisions. The big excuse for Jeff Fisher to this point since coming on in 2012 and general manager Les Snead is that, you know, they had such a poor roster to overhaul in 2012 that the decisions they were making were compensating for mistakes made since before their arrival. That's not the case anymore. When you're talking about Ronnie McLeod, Norris Jenkins and, you know, bringing guys on now, they're replacing their own guys. They're solving questions that they created. They're trying to fix the 32nd ranked offense of 2015 that they created after four years, after having all those years, and I know I'm harping on it, but after having all those years to create an offense going into 2015, what they ended up with was the worst offense in the NFL. And as I told LA Rams report, the scout blog uh, for the Rams earlier today, on their podcast was, and I know this is a big deal moving forward, is what is the solution at quarterback? I think I think Rams fans need to get serious about the idea that this was the solution at quarterback. They they faced it two years ago, Sam Bradford coming out of an ACL injury in 2013, and they avoided going after a backup quarterback, you know, on the – on the chance that he got injured again because they just didn't feel all that necessarily motivated to do so. And so Sean Hill and Austin Davis were uh, comfortable choices. And they went into the season with the Sean Hill, Austin Davis. And when Austin, when Sam Bradford got injured again, that was who they moved to 2015, you know, coming back, none of those guys were sufficient. Sam Bradford coming off of two ACL injuries, Sean Hill and Austin Davis from the season that they had provided. They went in a completely different direction. They, you, you have to put yourself, you're putting yourself somewhat in the mindset of lessening Jeff Fisher. How do you refit that quarterback position comfortably for an NFL season? Their answer was Nick Foles, Case Keenum, and Sean Mannion. And I just struggle to understand why a year later that wouldn't be the same answer. And if the answer is that, that those guys didn't perform well enough, I don't know why the the people that selected them in the first place would change their minds about him. 
right? And, and I, I'm not disagreeing. It's not that as a Rams fan that those guys shouldn't have been better. It's that that was the answer in the first place. The, the whole answer in the first place was how to solve quarterback for the Rams. The decision was Nick Foles, Case Keenum, and Sean Mannion. I don't know why their performance would change things unless they just didn't expect that. And if that's the case, then maybe things are worse off than I even expected. But if we're trying to, if we're trying to put a positive spin on the season, then that's definitely not my job. I certainly leave that to everybody else in the community and certainly everybody else on the staff. I think perhaps uh, one of the benefits of this offseason is that, as I mentioned, Jeff, Fishing, Jeff Fisher gets to replace some of his own opportunities uh, that maybe he failed. Uh, otherwise left incomplete in the first four years. And I think that maybe gives them an opportunity to upgrade in positions that they felt more comfortable just sitting pat or getting them through, right? Not necessarily positions that they needed to get elite talents for, but get them through this initial phase of rebuilding the Rams. And if that's the case, then now they can make some more of those luxury picks. And maybe that's what then takes them over the top. Uh, But I think what's going to be difficult is, uh, facing teams that have done that before, teams like the Seattle Seahawks. And that's why I want to bring in my friend, my man, from Field Goals, the one and only Danny Kelly. Danny, what is the damn name of the podcast? Is it Onside Kick Family Hour? <laughs> yes, I think that's what it is. And I don't really know the history of where that name came from, frankly. You don't have to cover for Van, man. You can, you can tell us the truth. It was a... The last second, he just Googled a bunch of names related to football and stuck them together. Onside family yeah, hour kick. It was one of those, like, uh, meme generators that SB Nation does sometimes. I think mm. it was just, like, random words. It'd I, I kind of wish I'd hit somebody up. No, go ahead. <laughs> I said it's meaningless to me. I'm not really sure, to be honest. Yeah, well, meaningful would have been if I had hit somebody up for a meme generator for Janoris Jenkins before he left. Uh <laughs> Danny Kelly, everybody, from Field Goals, the SB Nation community for fans of the Seattle Seahawks. If you don't know him, you should. Incredibly brilliant. Football mind at Field Goals is the Twitter handle, even though he manages the community for the evil empire over at Field Goals. Love him. Love his staff, man. You guys got some great guys over there, even though you're Seahawks fans. I do have to admit, Danny, and this is a bit of a personal story, uh, I think the sexiest restaurant I've ever been to. I went with you during the combine. It was, it was, it was the most romantic restaurant. It was a Thai restaurant with live jazz music and the spiciest food I've ever had. I'm not going to lie. I think about it often, man. That was like one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Honestly, you <laughs> eating that, that, what, what was it? Pad to you or something like that. It was pad to you, but it was the spice. Dog, that was the, that was the spiciest food I've ever had, and then not like spiciest. Like I've had spicy food in my life. That was the right. fucking spiciest thing I've ever eaten <laughs> in my life. For a little background into this story, Joe was kind of like getting everyone to try the, the craziest, spiciest sauces because we went to dinner at a couple <laughs> Mexican restaurants. Joe's just like chiding everyone for not trying the spicy like jalapeno sauce or the, the habanero sauce, and then uh, after meeting up with some. Uh, a blogger from what is the uh, soccer blog? Give a shout out to the soccer blog that that we met up with him. The short fuse uh, at the Arsenal site, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we met up with the, we met up with him, had a couple of drinks, um, and then we're just like wanting to get a food fix. So we found this random Thai restaurant, 
And Joe, you ordered like a three out of six in like spiciness, right? And then you, I thought you were going to die. I thought I was going to have to give you CPR or something like that. <laughs> the problem <laughs> was, was it was so good. I couldn't stop eating. It was so good. I couldn't stop eating it. And yet it was so obviously way too spicy for any human to eat. It was this weird conundrum of how do how do I stop eating this even though it's delicious and how do I how do I keep myself alive? That was a that was a battle. <laughs> that was the funniest thing I've seen in a long time. It was good, man, and I was laughing at myself the whole time. Danny Kelly, everybody, field goals. Uh, that's ad field goals. Uh, give him a follow on Twitter. Danny, uh, first for the Rams before we get to you guys. The Rams and the Seahawks, the the Seahawks haven't been the issue, right? And and we've got a bunch of new listeners obviously going to come on board in the coming months. You know, the Rams have relocated to Los Angeles. A lot of people that may not have paid uh, incredibly intimate attention to their time in St. Louis, certainly the last couple of years, you know, not having won, not having been in the national spotlight. The Rams haven't really, I I don't want to be rude. They haven't necessarily had a problem with the Seahawks. Let me put it like this. If you're talking about the problems that the Rams have had, the Seahawks have not been the problem, right? Are the Rams but, just specifically built to beat the Seahawks only? I wonder. Like, that, I wonder if that's the problem, right? And in, in that the Rams have done decently in the NFC West and certainly competed incredibly well against the Seattle Seahawks. The problem is yeah. that they failed everywhere else. But the opposite is true for you guys. If you guys have necessarily struggled against the Rams, vice versa, you guys have certainly made the playoffs. You've won Super Bowls. You guys have had the kind of success that most teams judge themselves on. Why is it that the Rams are able to do what we do against you guys and fail everywhere else where you guys have the larger, more general success? I feel like the Rams are built really specifically um... – to take advantage of the Seahawks' issues on the offensive line. Obviously, last year, uh, Aaron Donald kind of just gave the offensive line fits in both matchups, and it was just in the backfield the whole time. It was really, really uh, – I mean, he just he just basically destroyed the Seahawks' game plan from the run game standpoint. So, um, I mean, that was a big thing. I think uh, the team speed thing, you know, really hurts the Seahawks' ability to run their wide zone. I think you guys have, like, an amazing – amount of athleticism on that defense, and that's really hurt them. Um, for some reason, the trick plays always come into play against the Seahawks. Sure. Um, Jeff Fisher always kind of seems to kind of like pull out all the stops and special teams and trick plays and things like that, and they've worked really well against the Seahawks in, in recent years. Um, but I would just attribute it really to the, the, the crazy toughness up front. I think that, that the Seahawks really have had a really tough time dealing with that defensive line that you guys have. And um, the Seahawks offensive line has been their main uh, weak point, I think, for the last couple of seasons. And, and that just match up, this really doesn't match up well with the Rams at all. I think you can't find a defensive line like the Rams in the NFL, really. So um, I think that's been the main thing. I just think it's weird. I like. I certainly don't disagree with you. The, the combination of defensive line and the trick plays, the Johnny Hecker play, to kill out the game not too long ago, Tavon Austin responding to Tyler Lockett, you know. Yeah, it's just one of those things that's inconsistent, and I think that's part of the hallmark of the Jeff Fisher era thus far, is that against you guys, they're able to summon these command performances and the kind of performances where you go back to week one, 2015, and you, you say that's the kind of win that a team that's willing to, that's ready to turn the corner makes. 
and yet yeah. you go, yeah, you know, a couple of weeks later, lose six to twelve against the Steelers, Chicago Bears at home, and give up these big plays. I, I just, it's one of those things. It's the inconsistency. It's it, it's one thing where I can look at the Seahawks and I can say, okay, that makes sense that the Rams would do that because they're good enough. I can look at the Bears, I can look at the Steelers, I can look at other games and say, okay, the Rams are bad enough. What's weird is that they do that in the same season, and I don't understand how that works. Yeah, and I, I don't know, like, honestly what the answer is. It's funny because um, it's sort no, of Danny, I need the answer. You have, to, you have to give me the answer now. I've, the, I've been waiting for years to try to figure this out. I just need the answer, please. <laughs> give me some answers. Uh, yeah. No, it is. It's like ironic because I think Seahawks fans kind of like having Jeff Fisher around <laughs> because of um, I think they attribute the inconsistency to Fisher's coaching style for what it, I don't know if that's like necessarily valid or not, but um, it's ironic sure. because the Rams always play the Seahawks really well and like obviously last year they beat the Seahawks twice, but Jeff yeah. fans still kind of like Fisher because at the end of the day, um, it, like I think they would attribute like the Rams. Um, inability to get over the hump, so to speak, to Fisher as a coach. So it's kind of a funny, like, you know, irony. But um, it's definitely like a healthy respect from Seahawks fans to to Rams fans, though, or to to the Rams. I mean, just because, I mean, they've just had so much success uh, every year against Seahawks. I think Seahawks fans know going into Rams games that it's going to be probably one of the toughest battles uh, all season. It's just such a, it's it's such a weird dynamic, that, you know, the idea of, you know, Seahawks fans having respect. I mean, you guys have had Pete Carroll since 2010. The year the Rams drafted Sam Bradford, so there's an era to era sensibility there, and yet the mm-hmm. fact that you guys <laughs> can have respect for the Rams and still make the playoffs every year, and here we are, you know, sitting on the outside watching you guys in the preseason or the postseason, you know, beating Minnesota and whatnot. Um, it's, it's just a weird dichotomy. Um, but but I think one of the weird things that ma- manifested itself was in 2015, the Rams went to Minnesota and played a pretty tough game. It was ugly, but it was playoff ugly. And the Rams led at halftime, uh, had to go to overtime to make it happen. It, it didn't work out. Similarly to you guys in the postseason, it, it seemed like, if I look back, that Minnesota, Seattle, and the Rams were all in that same kind of pool. But at the same time, you guys got it done on a missed field goal from Blair Walsh. How much of that – sometimes I look back at context. How much of that is just fate? Like, what is the real difference between the 2015 Vikings and the 2015 Seahawks? You guys, you guys escaped on a missed field goal, but a lot of times you look back and that's what separates the good teams from the bad. How do you put that in context? I mean, part of that is just like, uh, uh, you know, that football kind of thing. Like, you know, you sure. have to make those kind of kicks. You have to make, you have to make the, you have to hold it. You have to make the kick. Um, you I mean, you don't, uh, you don't have to make it. I promise you don't. We've got Greg Zerline, a free agent. You don't have to make it. <laughs> but, um, I mean, yeah, it was one of those games where the weather was such an extreme factor um, that I felt like really neither team could really showcase who they were. Um, I mean, like the Seahawks went into uh, Minnesota several weeks before that. I, I don't know exactly how many, yeah. and completely dominated them. Um, but I think the Vikings really bounced back from that and, and were a different team uh, in that playoff game. And so, but it was kind of a bummer because neither team really. I, I didn't feel like neither. I didn't feel like either team could really showcase who they were just because they're battling that cold. I think it was like the second coldest game in NFL history. Um, right, right, right. You know, no, 
no one's really playing like how they should. It was a, such a major extreme factor that um, you just kind of felt like you escaped with a miracle. Um, I, I think Seahawks fans almost, like after the Carolina loss, it was kind of like they were playing with house money because of that miss field goal. Um, so right. it was almost like, you know, well, that sucks, but really, um, you know, we were close to not even being in this position, got lucky in that situation, and sometimes you just get lucky. Sometimes teams get lucky. I think go- going back to NFL history, there's all all kinds of examples of games that came down to one or two crazy plays like that. And so, um, I don't know, I think people just kind of like took that with a grain of salt and said, well, uh, it's always good to be on the lucky side of things every once in a while. Sure, but I mean the the seasons prior, you guys weren't on the lucky side. Um, you know what wh- what was the difference? You guys were that close to being a team that got kicked out in the wild card, and maybe a team that, having been beaten by the Rams twice in 2015, uh, was maybe on on a much lower side of the, the the curve than you had been in seasons past. NFL champions, super, you know, I'm not trying to rub it in. Don't act like I'm a dickhead. But on the goal line, looking to win a Super Bowl two years prior, yeah. what what was the big gulf between the 2014-2013 Seahawks and the 2015 Seahawks? What what fell off the cliff for you guys? I don't really actually think uh, there was that big of a gulf, and um, I think people remember the 2013 Super Bowl and kind of look at that and be like, "Oh my God, the Seahawks were just sure. an unstoppable force." But that's not really true. I think they just kind of hit on all cylinders in that game. Um, kind of took advantage of some momentum things and basically just, you know, they, I think John Fox said they came, they, they hit, they ran into a, a buzzsaw. And the Seahawks really just, like, took advantage of that and, and really ran away with it. But, I mean, if you look back yeah. at that season, it was a real challenge at times. Um, you know, there was times where the Seahawks looked like they weren't very strong. There was, even in the playoff games, they, they kind of squeaked through a couple of those things. Um, it was a real to get to the Super Bowl. It was a real, I mean, like, um, there's just, you know, it's the NFC Championship against the 49ers, like, it came down to the final play, and, and Richard Sherman made a great I, I, that's play. Gotta, that's got to be one of the biggest games, I, and I know that gets underplayed because it's the NFC West, it's not these giant markets, it's the modern yeah. era of the NFL. I think that game, if people would go back and look at it, that 49ers Seahawks Conference Championship, given where you guys were in the ascendancy, where the 49ers were three NFC championships in a row. I think a lot of people are going to look back at the game and say, look, that's one of those kind of turning points where maybe the NFC changed, maybe the NFL changed. I think that was a bigger game than a lot of people remember. A lot of people, yeah, and a lot of people on, I mean, I remember the playoffs or uh, players from the Seahawks talking about how that was like kind of the real Super Bowl for them. Um and that was like a huge And you, you guys were losing going into the fourth the fourth quarter. Yeah, the Seahawks they they took the lead on a basically a, a like a jump ball into the end zone where That's right, the Seahawks managed it's a, the 49ers to jump offside so it was a free play, you know, just threw the ball into the end zone and that was how they took the lead. Um, and they barely held on to it. You know, obviously the the 49ers went down the field and were within challenging distance and tried to take a shot at the end zone, and Richard Sherman tipped it, and it was intercepted, and the the rest is history. Um, but, I mean, I think when people look at, like, when you, when you ask me, like, what's the gulf between those teams versus the 2014-2015 Seahawks, there isn't really a, that big of one to me, honestly. Like, in 2014, the Seahawks, I think they started out 6-4, and four, and there was a ton of issues. You know, they uh, – 
they had a whole bunch of, you know, chemistry issues. They ended up trading Percy Harvin and all this kind of stuff happened. And, um, you know, they had to go through these trials and tribulations to get to the Super Bowl. And, and so I think really, like, in terms of pure talent, I think the Seahawks of, of 2015 were somewhere around the Seahawks of 2014. I think maybe the 2013 team was the best team that they had. Um, and they ended up, <laughs> they did win the Super Bowl that year, obviously. But um, I just think, you know, the the way that football you know, it's just a cruel, cruel thing sometimes, and the way the ball bounces and things like that. And I think, you know, obviously, Seahawks were one yard away from winning it in 2014, um, but it didn't work out. But, I mean, they even had to get some crazy miraculous play to get in that position. So when uh, Jermaine Purse caught a pass from his back when it was deflected off of one of the uh, Patriots defenders. So, I don't know, it's, it's just one of those things where um, – I don't know how different the Seahawks were this year than in the last couple of years. But I don't think it was very big talent gap. I think they're they were maybe even better in the second half of life, of the second half of this year than they, than they had been in the last couple of seasons. Denny Kelly, everybody from Field Goals at Field Goals Onside Kick Family Hour podcast with himself, Ryan Van Biver, Stephen White. A couple of questions before we let you go, Danny. Um, looking forward to 2016. Uh, what what do we need to do both? And let's put us put ourselves in the same boat: uh, Seattle Seahawks, St. Louis Rams, now Los Angeles Rams. Moving forward, the 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 league seems to be catching up with the NFC West for a couple of years. Get there, the NFC West was kind of leading the rest of the league. Now it seems like we've fallen behind. What, what does this division need to do? And obviously, we saw a big trade today: Chandler Jones going to the Arizona Cardinals. John Cooper and a second-round pick going over to the New England Patriots. And big news coming tonight that Chris Long, the former defensive end from uh, the Rams, said it to New England. What, what does the NFC West need to do to catch up to the rest of the the, the league? Is is there enough talent still in there that you think the NFC West can still lead the charge? Well, I think that um, the NFC West still has some of the best defenses, obviously, with St. Louis, Seattle, and Arizona kind of leading the way. And it's um, I think when when – uh, San Francisco still had an elite defense. You look at this division, and I was like, damn, look, at this is a really, really good defensive division. Like, you're going to get your ass kicked when you come play any of these teams. Uh, it's not so much the same with San Francisco anymore, but I think it is kind of the same with the Seahawks, Rams, and, and Cardinals. It's kind of kick your ass on defense type of thing. I think the main issue for the Rams, honestly, is just quarterback issue, uh, quarterback question. Um, you know, there's a lot of talent on that roster. The defense has a lot of talent, as you I pointed out kind of in the intro, the 32nd ranked offense. And, um, I mean. Is that good? Know, is, I, it, is it a good thing to have the worst offense in the league? <laughs> I don't. I mean, I, don't, I mean, I, you're asking for answers. I can't tell you. But I don't think so. I don't think it's a good mm. thing to have the worst offense mm. in the NFL. Um <laughs> But, I mean, because if you look at what the what the Broncos did, obviously, you know, they won with a terrible offense. Um, but I just feel like that's so much the exception to the rule, or exception rather than the rule. I think, the, you know, I think you really have to have more balance to, to be able to be successful consistently in the league. Um, so I think the main thing holding up the Rams, honestly, is just their quarterback situation. And, and that's like, a, I mean, that's like something that, like, half the league is going through right now, you know. Like, you have to have a good quarterback. To uh, to consistently win in the NFL and um, the uh, the whole uh, now I'm blanking on his name which doesn't bode well for him but the guy that you guys picked up from the Eagles that really just didn't work out Nick Foles um, you know really just didn't work out how I think uh, wait who 
Nick, Nick, <laughs> who? <laughs> yeah, it's bad that I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But, um, I mean, that to me, that's just, uh, yeah, that's just kind of the biggest, the biggest issue holding up the Rams. Like, you have to have that offensive consistency to be able to compete regularly. It is what it is, man. I mean, it's the Rams. It's sitting where they sit. Uh, Danny Kelly, everybody, field goals. Danny, last question. The Rams are going to face you guys. I think one thing I've written about often about the Rams the last couple of years is that they don't prioritize winning. Uh, relocating right. to Los Angeles, they're going to sacrifice one home game each of the next three years to play in London. I think that kind of tells you how much they <laughs> they care about putting together winning seasons. Uh, but hopefully they'll be able to get through you guys. What what do you expect from the Rams in 2016? Not even, you know, we still got somewhat of the free agency period coming uh, ahead of us and certainly mm-hmm. 2016 NFL draft. What, what are you still expecting? Is the defensive line still all that impressive enough or losing Chris Long and the luster perhaps coming off it? Do you guys worry about the Rams that much? I mean, I still think that the Rams' defense is going to be really tough to deal with. Um, That's I, mean, right. I think losing, I think losing Cloud and losing uh, Janoris Jenkins is going to be an issue, and that's something that will have to be answered in terms of what happens. But I mean, there, I think there's still enough talent on that defense to be a strong defense. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the move Alka Ogletree is making, um, and then with with Mark Barron kind of taking over at the weak side spot. I think that's kind of what's the plan. Um, I think that'll be interesting. But, again, I just think there's still so many questions on the offensive side of the ball that um, my expectation is, of course, the Seahawks are going to lose to them twice, but I I still feel like the Rams are somewhere in the middle in terms of, like, uh, John Schneider says the league pushes you to 8-8. And and I think that's so true. Like, it just pushes you back to 8-8. If you're any, like, it's just so much parity. I just can't see the Rams being... um, at this point in time, I can't see them being a, a serious challenger for the NFC West when the Seahawks and the Cardinals are um, kind of still ahead in terms of where their offense and defense are, you know, balance and whatnot. So, um, but again, I, it just wouldn't surprise me at all if the Seahawks lose to the Rams again twice, just because of the matchup issues they have against them. And um, for whatever reason, the Rams are always just really good against the Seahawks. But um, I, I kind of feel like I'm expecting a little bit of the same next year. And that's not meant to be disrespectful, but I just don't see enough change where it makes me think like they're they're about to turn the corner. Yeah, well, the joke's on you, Danny. We haven't even gone eight and eight under Jeff Fisher, so suck <laughs> on the <to> that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> sleep, sleep soundly on that, old man. Danny Kelly, everybody. Uh, are you going? Are you going to the draft now? Uh, not that I know of. Not that I know of. Are you going to be able to get to go to that? I haven't decided. I talked to Van this week. We're still going over it. He wants to go to New York for the draft, which is, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to mock my friend Ryan Van Biver on air. I love him to death. But uh, going towards New York for the NFL draft seems one of those opposite direction things, which is also very Ryan Van Biver, So <laughs> I mean, I definitely wouldn't say no to it, though. Uh, I wouldn't say no to heading towards Missouri to, to catch a draft with him because I'd love to get it in with him. But if not, maybe back up plan C is to head towards Washington and get it in with you. My man, Danny Kelly, everybody, from Field Goals. Danny, thanks for coming over. Hey, thanks for having me on, Joe. Appreciate it.
Okay. Danny Kelly, everybody. Good guy. Add field goals. You can see why I love it. This is the torment that I had. So many good guys over there at field goals. They asked me nation type for the Seattle Seahawks. Good guys. They understand football. It's fun to talk to them. Fun to go get drinks with them. Fun to talk about football. And then uh, I become the Rams fan. It's like, oh, God, that's what I had to lean back on. Uh, but that's the case. That's the reality. Um, but what, one of the good things is that every offseason, it's the NFL, every offseason uh, offers the opportunity of parity to refix uh, the trajectory of your franchise. And uh, certainly with free agency, but more so with the draft, you get a bigger opportunity to reset things and, and reset the trajectory of things. And, uh, you know, one of the guys that has been certainly mocked the most to the Rams out of anybody is Laquan Treadwell out of Ole Miss. And to help me talk about that, I want to bring on Jeff Gray uh, from Red Cup Rebellion, the SB Nation site for fans of the Ole Miss Rebels. That's Jeffrey Gray. Is it Jeffrey or Jeff, man? Uh, usually Jeff. Jeff, I think. Uh, well, then it's Jeff tonight. Jeff. I feel you, dude. Jeff Gray, everybody. Red Cup Rebellion. Uh, that's at Red Cup Rebellion. On Twitter at Jeff underscore Gray SBN. Uh, did I get that right? Is it both correct? You got it. Yep. You got to get Twitter right, man. If you don't get Twitter right in the modern age, you're not even doing your job. So at Jeff underscore Gray SBN, that's Gray with an A, and at Red Cup Rebellion. Give him a follow. Give them a follow. Long time followers of Red Cup Rebellion, man. Y'all have been doing some good stuff for years. And I think what's been fun is to see you guys over the years as your program has kind of developed, what kind of a site you guys have had. You know, the the pre-Bo Wallace years, as you guys were building up a program and into those years and bringing on that class with Laramie Tunsil and Laquan Treadwell and Robert and Kem Dietschy. Yeah, you guys had a great community there, and then it kind of blew up, man. What's it been like at RCR the last couple of years? Uh, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's kind of changed. Um, I just took over in the last year. I would year, think so. That's a, I would think uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, but the, the guys are running it. You know, it was, it was always just kind of a – Super snarky, super humorous, um, and that's because we were dealing with Houston Nut at the time. Uh, you know, we were sure. born out of the, the Houston Nut era, so we kind of, you know, you had to laugh to keep from crying um, during his last couple of seasons. And, and all of a sudden, we're good, and uh, you know, now we have to deal with not sucking, which is kind of strange for for Ole Miss fans uh, at the moment. But yeah, it's it's been fun the the turnaround under Hugh Freeze, uh, going from. I was gonna say. You know, in 2011, winning two yeah. games and, and nuts last year to uh, to ten wins uh, now with with three. So it's definitely a, a lot different than it, than it was when when I was in school. Yeah, and uh, I mean before we get into the the nuts and bolts and stuff, the the kind of deeper stuff, that it's it's not just a change from Houston up to Hugh Freeze, and it's not just a gradual change. You guys are beating Alabama. You you guys moved to you know the kind of class of the SEC, and you know now you're putting up some of the premier talents in the NFL draft. This isn't one of those things where it's like year after year you're moving up gradually. You guys have ascended to the top of the SEC in a lot of different facets. And you look at the recruiting classes you guys are even taking in this year. How how are you guys handling that? And what what is your feeling about how you're handling that? Not necessarily as a site at Rev Cup Rebellion, but how you're handling that as a program to being one of the premier club franchises, one of the premier programs in all of college football. Yeah, it, it really is, you know, the sudden jump of, of going from, like I said, the two-win year to, uh, to under freeze. We've won the, uh, one more game ever since he's been there. Um, and, and one of the big 
kickbacks from outside, from the rest of the SEC, and I'm sure you've heard it, is all these cheating allegations, um, which is kind of boiled over with the Laramie Tunsil thing and the NCAA investigation sure. recently. Um, but I think a lot of that is just kind of this side effect of people aren't used to Ole Miss being good, and it's like, well, Ole Miss is getting these good players. Ole Miss is doing well. But they have to be cheating. Um right. And it's so it's there's there's a lot of that there's a lot of <laughs> defending the the program going on going on but um you know a lot of it so much of it is is based off that 2013 class that Saul Treadwell and Kandichi and Tunsil come in you know they kind of defined it um, and most of the success has, has been built off of that that class you had another a few other key guys that came in Evan Ingram. Um, yeah during that year and, and they've they've really been the what, what's turned it around and now you know this upcoming year is the first time you know we have life without them in in three years yeah and i think that's one of the interesting things and i was actually at the combine so i got to talk to robert and kim G. I got to talk to uh larry tonsil um i know that i, I saw i was watching the uh, rebellion as the story went yeah i know it was a big story talk, talk to nfl fans about go ahead go ahead i'm sorry i said did kandichi do any snitching to you do what did you see that did you see the where he kind of threw tonsil under the bus during his well uh, and, and that's why i i didn't i didn't get that from it and to be honest man i was sitting front row and and I, I didn't get the idea that he was throwing him under the bus, but here's the thing is I'm not an old Miss guy. I haven't been uh, tracking. It's not that I haven't been tracking that story. I mean, I remember when that, when that came up, it was one of those things where it didn't seem like he was throwing him under the bus. It was more one of those things where he was just coming clean about what was going on. And, and that's one of the problems with the combine. And that's, uh, you know, something I struggled to, to put together for SB nation NFL that I wish we had done better, especially for you guys at the college level was how, how badly the combine uh, explains that whole process with the media, right? It, it's, it's yeah. not like people are coming to get real answers. It's that you're getting thrown to the wolves, dude. You're, you're, it's not just SB Nation. It, you know, I was sitting next to Bruce Feldman from CBS Sports and a bunch of guys, that the kind of guys that NFL people do not know, but that you guys at the college level know incredibly well, you know, and, yeah. and you know, we're sitting in there and they're taking arduous notes and detailed you know, uh, kind of uh, descriptions of their mannerisms where the NFL guys just don't care. It has nothing to do with their NFL career. So when you say that they're throwing them under the bus, the NFL guys just don't care about those kind of details. It's a, it's a yeah, weird and, environment. And I agree. I, that, you know, I agree. I think it's one of those sound bites that, you know, bounces around the internet. It is. It was. Um, and, yeah, and, and, and I don't think it was at all some intentional thing, Tim DJ. I think, like you said, he got asked a question. He's probably a little too honest, more honest than he should have been. Um, sure. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there was any maliciousness there. I think it was, you know, Kandichi maybe not the smartest comment, but, yeah, it, it was certainly made a bigger deal than I think it was, but um, it certainly didn't help his image. And I, I think that's one of the things that a lot of times, uh, b- both at the NFL level, we don't understand, and at the, at the college level, that maybe you guys don't uh, – necessarily care about is the idea of that kind of misconception where 
where, where something gets blown out of perception that can be a big deal to you guys that you say, well, he should have known better, right? He, he should have known better than to, to say something like that because he should have understood. And from the NFL perception, he should have had the right kind of rep, representation to make him understand, look, when you go to the media, you've got to handle this discussion a certain way to make yourself look like a professional because you're not only representing Robert and Kenzie Key anymore, you're representing Old Miss and to whatever degree, as stupid as that sounds. It's one of those things where you've got to understand the process. And when you fail the process, whether that's failing the media process or failing the 40-yard dash or failing whatever, that that's incumbent on the kind of school and the the program that you're coming from. Sure. And I think that was, that was the more surprising part is that, you know, his agent or, you know, these folks hadn't prepared him better for, um, yeah. you know, for, for what to avoid. But, you know, at the end of the day, that, that soundbite and that press conference isn't going to hurt his stock. It's going to be, you know, what happened before. It's going to be what led to that, you know, that's going to hurt his stock. Yeah. So, it, it you know, he could have come off with a, you know, better sounding uh, presser, but at the end of the day, I don't, you know, what what really matters is what he said in this meeting with the teams. Um, you know, I, you know, there's no telling how those went, but you know that that one incident, I don't, I don't think is is like you said, it's been overblown for sure. No, I'm totally with you, Jeff Gray. Everybody, Red Cup Rebellion at Red Cup Rebellion. That's at Jeff underscore Gray SBN from Red Cup Rebellion. If you don't know how to spell that, uh, you probably didn't go to hold this. Um, looking at you know, the crowd that you guys have coming out, uh, it's the best class that you guys. Is this the best class from Ole Miss for an NFL draft ever? The Tunsil Treadwell and Kenzie Trio. Oh, easily, easily by far. Yeah. Um, you know, we had Eli go number one, but sure, know, he didn't have anybody on that team with him to speak of. You know, Patrick Willis um, has been a big deal. You had Mike Moore yep. go in the first round. Ray Jerry, which obviously didn't work out too well. Dexter McCluster was a second rounder uh, a few years ago, but you you never had right. this amount of talent concentrated in one class. Definitely not. What what does it mean to the program though to have not only this kind of output, but to have that trajectory where you guys had, you know, in that same class you had in Kennedy comes on Treadwell coming out at the top, but you had Antonio Connor, Austin Golson, um who else was in that class? Uh, uh, well, you know, uh, Christian uh, Morgan. Yeah, uh, and and a guy that that's really been glossed over is uh, Evan Ingram, the tight end. Um, yes. Yeah. Who ended up staying? Uh, he didn't have as a productive year as I think most people thought, and I think a lot of that is because so many balls were going towards Treadwell, um, and sure. he ended up getting a, a, a draft grade that you know wasn't wasn't that great, and they wanted him to bulk up, so he's come back. Uh, but I'm looking for him to have a, a big year, and, and if he does, he could. And if he bulks up and shows, uh, you know, at least some decent blocking skills, uh, you know, you're looking at he's a, a first-year, maybe a second-round guy I think would maybe be his ceiling. But um, And then certainly, you know, Tony, Tony Connor at one point was thought to be a, a yeah. first-rounder. Um, torn meniscus early in the season, um, that kind of uh, – put his draft stock down, but, you know, so you look at next year and you got those two guys coming out as well. So um, there's certainly some, some talent in this class that is, is still around. Yeah. And Evan Ingram is one of those guys that I know a ton of Rams fans wish was coming out this year, because I know 
uh, given the whole tight end, uh, losing Jared Cook, who was at South Carolina, I don't know how far back you go, uh, is a guy that would have loved to replace with a prospect like Evan Ingram. I want to get into the current stuff, but before I do that, I want to cover the program stuff. Uh, 2016 recruiting class, looking forward for you guys, is a monster. Greg Little oh, yeah. out of Allen, Texas. I actually I grew up in Dallas, Texas. I uh, saw many Allen high school games. I actually played them yeah. a couple times, and that was painful because uh, we weren't on that level, I guess. It's, yeah. so if I, pretty, say, you don't play good. guys like Greg Little in high school if you want to maintain your physical status. Um, Shea Patterson uh, coming out of the IMG Academy out of Florida. You guys mm-hmm. continue to recruit incredibly well. Uh, the, the issue isn't recruiting. The issue isn't development. What, what is holding you guys back from the next level at Ole Miss? I mean, is, it, is this a golden era for now for uh, Ole Miss football? You know, it's it's hard to tell. So many folks thought it was going to fall off, me included, thought that, you know, kind of this past year was our window with all these first-round uh, draft right. talents and that, you know, kind of once this class moved out, we were going to kind of regress back down to – I mean, you know, not not as low as we were, but um, certainly dipped back down. But um, one, like I mentioned, the, some of the guys that ended up staying put that we didn't expect, Tony Connor, Evan Ingram, uh, Isaac Gross as uh, a defensive tackle that uh, an injury has him back this year. Um, so you had – and then and then this, this draft class that's showed up all of a sudden, which is, um, you know – Heading into signing day, it looked like a top five class, but still ended up being a really, really solid top ten. Um, all of a sudden, it looks like you know this is potentially sustainable. Um, sure. So you know it's it's the SEC West. You can go from you know we could easily come out and then win you know seven games next year, even with Chad Kelly and, and these guys back. It's just such a ridiculously competitive division, but. Um, you know, it, it looks like we have some tools to to keep the momentum going, for sure. And, and getting little in uh, Deontay, uh, Deontay Anderson out of Texas. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's not something that's necessarily rele- uh, relegated to your geographic region. You guys are stretching outside of Mississippi and making pipelines otherwise that, uh, uh, I, you know, you look at LSU, you look at Alabama, that I'm sure they wish they could reach into Texas the way you guys have. Yeah, absolutely. You that's something Freeze has done a fantastic job of is, is going out of the state. I mean, Treadwell was from uh, Illinois. Yeah, yeah. Uh, D.C. was from Georgia. Um, Tunsil was from Florida. Uh, so certainly he's, he's done a fantastic job of that. Uh, you know, Shea Patterson, you know, he went to IMG, but he was originally from uh, playing school in Louisiana, and one of his finals was LSU. We stole him from there. And then he even looks like a guy, uh, Mike Juarez, who he ended up not getting. He was a five-star linebacker this past uh, signing day, um, but came down between us and UCLA. And just the fact that we're getting signing day decisions from, you know, a five-star on the West Coast, and West Coast guys rarely leave the West Coast, certainly not to come to Mississippi. So the fact that we were even in the running with them really shows you how far, you know, the recruiting has progressed under Freeze. Uh, especially the the national recruiting. Jeff Gray, everybody. Jeff underscore Gray, SBN, at Red Cup Rebellion is the site for Red Cup Rebellion, the SB Nation Committee for Ole Miss Rebels fans. Before we get into some Laquan Treadwell stuff, and I've only got a couple questions, uh, I'm going to force you to do it, Jeff. I'm going to force you to do the unthinkable. 
we know Dak Prescott just got arrested. Say one nice thing about Mississippi State. Uh, yeah, I, I like Dak. Um, I, I, I think he's a, I think he's a good guy. Um, I certainly don't mind him. I, I think if he went anywhere other than Mississippi State, I'd root for him, and I'll, and I'll probably root for him uh, at the next level. To be honest with you, um, I, I, I don't know how much about the rest of the the university I can say that I like. <laughs> um, although, although I, I, actually, <laughs> I actually, uh, uh, State's actually not my most hated team. Actually, I, I grew up in, in Little Rock, Arkansas, and uh, grew up an Ole Miss fan, and I despise the Razorbacks. So they're so that's I guess oh, my nice man. Thing, but they're actually not my most hated See, college football team. Oh, that's great. We've got a, we've got a writer on my staff, Tevin, who just moved to Seattle of all places, who uh-huh. uh, grew up in North in North Little Rock, and he would have been wonderful yeah. to have on as a foil to that. But uh, I don't think there's anything anybody can say that's positive about the state of Arkansas in general. So let's move on ahead to uh, Laquan Treadwell as a prospect, man. I'm I'm no longer living in Arkansas, and, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> I, I think there's a reason for everybody for doing that. Um, Lacron Treadwell, every, everybody's going to focus NFL-wide about Tunsil at the top as the left tackle and obviously the blindside protector. But as a, perhaps the top wide receiver in the class, there, there, there's a lot of positives that everybody lays out about Treadwell. And then there are negatives. What's weird is the positives that everybody lays out are the things that ne- necessarily you don't attribute to uh, the prime uh, attributes for a wide receiver, uh, blocking physicality, uh, aggression, and, and the things that you, te- especially at the NFL level, maybe not at Ole Miss, and obviously his career at Ole Miss, you don't need to qualify uh, with it, with any kind of, you know, tangibles and the things that, you know, the, the kind of nerdy scouts are going to look at in the NFL level. But the things that they, that they would assign negatives to are the things that you guys don't care about, you know, yeah, speed, 40, 40 time, acceleration, mm-hmm. the things that don't necessarily turn up on tape where you guys look at the highlights and say, we don't care about that. He had a great career at Ole Miss. How, how do you balance that as a guy who uh, – is he one of the greatest and maybe the greatest wide receiver at Ole Miss of all time? What made him such? And what do you think NFL fans should understand about Laquan Treadwell coming to the next level? Uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely the, the top Ole Miss wideout, easily. Um, you know, second would be Dante Moncrief, who uh, right. you know, was just before him. Um, so, we, you know, it's not like we have a long history of elite receivers to begin with, but, you know, I think he would be the, the top receiver in school history at a lot of schools. Um, and he, he's, he's just so physically dominant. Um, and like you said, it you know, he, he doesn't have the top-end speed. You know, there's concerns uh, over acceleration, especially out of cuts and route running. Um, but, you know, to dominate at the college level, you don't necessarily need um, those. And that's stuff that, you know, I think you can probably work on and, and get better at. But, um, you know, he, just, he was just so much physically superior to guys. And it doesn't matter if he didn't have separation. He was going to go up and get the ball over you anyway. Um and so, you know, and that's, that's like you said, the question is, is you know, how well is I going to transfer over to the league? But, um, you know, that's that's kind of my lasting memory of, memory of him is, is, you know, catching screen passes and running guys over, going to the corner of the end zone and, and going up over the top of somebody. Um, and, you know, for as, as much as he gets knocked for lack of speed, he certainly had a bunch of downfield uh, routes. You know, he 
The one I remember yeah. off the top of my head was a, a 50-something yard against A&M to bust that game open uh, where he just smoked uh, the safety in the, the corner, you know, running running straight down the middle. So, um, you know, he, he he did it all at Ole Miss. He, he did everything he asked of him. How do you – and this is one of the things that's weird. We've had a lot of SEC guys on Trisha Radio before, um, and especially when we talk to Texas A&M, LSU, Alabama, that they can always compare guys from previous eras before. You guys can't can't really do that with Laramie Tunsil and uh, Laquan Treadwell. These are the first-generation guys that, you know, in the years coming, you guys are going to have to refer back to. What what is, what is kind of the thing that and it's obviously I mean the injury you know in the big game with Laquan Treadwell is one of those things that is a, a, a bigger asterisk for you guys at the college level than it is for NFL. But moving forward, what what is it that Laquan didn't do at Ole Miss that it's one of those things that's hard because you know as as a high school prospect he was so highly touted, part of a, a huge class. You guys made good on it and kind of raised the profile of the program. It feels weird to ask this in this way, but I ask it so so often of of SEC of SEC programs is to say what didn't he necessarily do that would have raised his profile to a degree that you would have expected when you brought him into the program. It's it's tough to find something. Honestly, um, is is that know, unfair? Is that unfair because it's a Laquan Treadwell, or is that unfair because it's Ole Miss? Let me ask you like that. Uh, both, I think. Uh, you know, like I said, we're and like you said, we're not used to having these guys. So when we have one, um, it's hard to compare back and say, oh well, you know, this other guy did this better because there there aren't those guys. Right. But you know, Treadwell was. I mean, he was. You know, he's a first team All SEC guy. Um, you know, it's not just a product of lack of comparison against previous Ole Miss players. Um, sure. You know, as, a, as a freshman. As a freshman, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, all all three of these guys came in and were starters from day one um, and started for three years. Um, the, the even more impressive is Tunsil, who came in and started at left tackle in the SEC um, as a freshman, which is incredible in itself. But, um yeah, I mean, it, it's really hard to find something that Laquan didn't do. And, you know, all, all three of these guys came in as the, the top-rated player at their position out of high school. Um, and all three, you know, if the Kandichi falling out of the window thing doesn't happen, all three of them would have come into the NFL draft as the top-rated player at their position, which is incredible sure. uh, and speaks a lot to um, the development that the staff did uh, to ensure that these guys lived up to these lofty expectations, um, which also feeds back into recruiting, I think is a big reason why this past class was was so good. It was, you know, the coaches can look and point to these guys and say, these guys came in highly touted. We sent them out highly touted. You know, come here. We're going to get you to where you want to go, which is the league. I, I, also, I also think it's great that uh, – <laughs> You know, it's very NFL the idea that that potentially the best defensive interior lineman and maybe most versatile guy in the draft in Robert and Kennedy is somebody that uh, it's not necessarily the field talent that you're worried about. It's this idea right. that he 
quote unquote, quote unquote, fell out of a balcony, whatever the story is. But it's one of those things that's so NFL and it's not, you know, it's one of the things that's never going to get fully explained. It didn't even get incorporate Laramie Tunsil until we got to the, the combine. Somehow at the college level, you guys deal with this stuff. You guys deal with it in a much more functional way. But when it gets to the NFL, it becomes this, this wilder tabloid level stuff. Uh, it, is that something you worry about maybe with Nkendichi and moving forward is that uh, as the program grows in stature that as you join kind of the Alabama level of the SEC is that you're going to have to deal with that kind of second page stuff? Uh, yeah, not necessarily. I mean, I guess the, the profile is raised. So if you have a, you know, if this was our backup defensive tackle, no one heard of, no one's talking about it. Obviously if it's a, uh, you know, the one is that is that how you do, is that how you yeah. define them though? Is a, is a backup defensive tackle that nobody's heard of? No, I'm saying if if it was, if it was some guy no one had ever heard of, you know, obviously we're not talking about it. we're talking about it because it was Robert Kandichi, a guy that's a, a first round talent. Um, and, and I now thought that, that you were there. I was going to say I was going to say and Kandichi is so, a little bit he's a little bit well, higher yeah, profile should, than that man. You should see the rest of the guys on our team coming in next year. Kandichi <laughs> was down the second string by the time he left. Although there is, uh, they, we have, do have some pretty serious defensive tackles coming up. Uh, so I think sure. we're going to knock them at Indici as as much as we could. Certainly, we'll miss him. He's easily the most disruptive guy on the team. Uh, you know, one of those guys that completely changes what a uh, offensive coordinator is doing during the course of the game. So we'll we'll definitely miss him. But um, but you know, the the, the overall talent levels progress to the point where it's crazy to say it, but we're not necessarily going to miss these guys like Laquan Treadwell and, and Kandichi like we would have in the past. Sure. Um, and I actually talked to Robert Fawn at the Combine. Obviously, you guys, it, it's more than just those three at the top, but I think it's going to headline, like you said, the best class that you guys have ever had. Um, before I let you go, man, what, what is one thing you want to leave to NFL fans Let's say Rams fans. Rams fans are mostly focused on Laquan Treadwell as a wide receiver and certainly a big position in need. But to kind of leave this mark, maybe if I don't talk to you guys for a while, what well, what is Ole Miss getting known for in the college level? What is uh, Laquan Treadwell known for? What what are you guys kind of making your stamp with on 2016 as you move forward? Um, well, you know, it's as good as some of the defensive prospects have been. It's it's all about the excitement of the offense under Hugh Freeze. You had this. Spread attack, fast pace, um, you know, putting up crazy yards. And with Chad Kelly coming back, it's only going to continue. Um, and I think that's the real draw, the real traction to Ole Miss football right now is it's exciting, not only because we're winning, but the way it's happening. Um, you know, you go back to Houston Nut and, you know, we threw it around a little bit, but it was more of a balanced offense. And by the end of it, it wasn't much of an offense at all. Um and that's it's just the way that Hugh Freeze has won and the excitement and the you know, the yards and the points and and I think that's that's what's really you know, attracting new fans, new Ole Miss fans, uh, which is not something that's happened in forever. Um but certainly all the offense is, is just so explosive now. Um it's just a lot more exciting to watch Ole Miss football. I think that's going to be uh, something we obviously keep track of here at the NFL level moving forward. Everybody, that's uh, Jeff Gray, Jeff underscore Gray SVN, Red Cup Rebellion, 
underscore, excuse me, that one underscore Red Cup Rebellion on Twitter. Hey, Jeff, thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Take it easy. Hey, thanks for coming on. Good stuff from Jeff, man. Uh, looking forward to the 2016 NFL draft. Obviously, Laramie Tuntil, left tackle, Laquan Trevor, wide receiver, and, you know, Robin Kennedy. We'll have to see, man. Red flags is one of those things where, you know, for certainly for a program like Ole Miss, when you can bring a talent like that, it doesn't matter. You bring him in immediately. NFL is going to look at him somewhat the same way for some programs. I mean, he's a first-round talent for a lot of guys. It's uh, it's one of those luxury issues where you have to decide where you uh, make the call to bring him in. Uh, we do have a couple of calls before I get into some of the wrap-up stuff. Obviously, I'll, we always want to take calls on Trisha Radio. Season 8, episode 1, man. It's been a while. Uh, call in numbers 347-857-1022 if you want to call in. We're going to start wrapping things up with some of these calls. we got a, a call from the 317. That should be, what, Indianapolis, I think, uh, from the 317. 735. Holla at your boys, 3K. You're on Touchdown Radio. What's going on? Hello. Indy, 317. Pacers. Colts. Is it Not happening. That's all good. Um, always want to give somebody a chance to holler at us. That's one of the things I I know a lot of podcasts don't bring people on from uh, different different area codes, different phone numbers, don't allow callers. But I got to do it because I love it, um, and I, I like the idea that we bring people on. We got somebody from the three one four, three one four, and that's Missouri. Hold on, three one four six three zero. What's on? You're on Trisha Radio. You there, man? What's going on? <laughs> Three one four. Hello. And that's part of the risk. It's all good, man. It's Tertial Radio. We allow people to call on if you don't want to call them. We gotta leave the phone line open. Um one of the things that's interesting I think uh about where we're at in, in the season for the Rams is uh starting season eight for Tertial Radio. Starting two thousand sixteen for the Rams. The first season in Los Angeles is you you got to move things forward in a way they haven't necessarily done um, in the past. And, that, and that's part, part of the reason why is because Jeff Fisher has had to remake things uh, in his own image. And because he was allowed to do that, now you're at a threshold where he's having to remake things in his own image. It, before you could say, okay, well, he's uh, bringing on Janoris Jenkins to uh, – you know, re- replace certain portions of the secondary. You're bringing on Trumaine Johnson because we need more uh, secondary help. And obviously moving forward between those two beyond 2012, EJ Gaines, uh, LaMarcus Joyner, Marcus Robeson, all these guys in the secondary, you, you need to add that. Well, now you're starting to have to replace that. You, you've tagged uh, Trumaine Johnson. You've lost your Norris Jenkins. Yeah, you've done all these other things in the secondary, there's no real answer for that moving forward. I mean, maybe Cody Sensible has an answer. Uh, we do have one more call. It looks like it's somebody from the Tertials Times staff. It's actually Mason Adiasor and Mison, if you're on with me, is 314630. Uh, one of the things I think is most interesting is with this priority A from the secondary, the Rams don't necessarily have a lot of answers. They tried to film with Cody Sensible, but I don't know that they've got everything else in the secondary. Is that going to be a big concern, Mason? 
I would say yes. <laughs> I, I just don't see the uh, Cody Sensabaugh signing being the uh, the necessary addition to kind of keep up what they started to build last year. I mean, last year you could really see the steps being taken forward, and now, you know, losing Janoris, losing Rodney. I think Cody Sensabaugh was kind of, you know, that third tier of free agents that uh, was kind of brought in. You know, I thought that there was uh, possibly better options out there, but we shall see. You know, we got another Titans. So, <laughs> haven't had great history yeah. with the Titans, Will Hayes. <laughs> I, I think I think what's scary is if you if you look at the cornerback position under Jeff Fisher and Les Snead, it makes sense, right? They drafted, they overdrafted guys because they spent four picks uh, early on: Janoris Jenkins, Trumaine Johnson, uh, Lamarcus Joyner. Uh, they yeah. they fill they fill that entire secondary with, with high picks and then buttress them behind them with with solid picks. How do you look at quarterback moving? <laughs> they, they just haven't spent any draft. I mean, Sean Mannion as a third rounder last year and didn't even play him. What what do they have to do to move this offense forward? Is there, is there something you see them doing this year? Hey, everybody's looking towards you know Laquan Treadwell or Paxton Lynch. Those are the two main picks in the mocks, but. Is that going to make any real difference in 2016 for the offense? <laughs> well, I think when you look at the offense, Jeff Fisher's philosophy has always been run and just give me okay quarterback play and I'll give you a playoff team. Um, but he has this, you know, this confidence in Case Keenum that he can – and I don't think Case Keenum is necessarily a terrible quarterback – I think he's a solid backup, and uh, I think that he can be. I think his potential is a solid stopgap, but um, I don't think that he's the guy that you want to kind of hand the keys over to and say, hey, I have all this faith in you. I think that's kind of what they're, you know, leaning towards doing with the first-round tender. And, you know, I think getting a receiver is all fine and dandy, and I think a, a good receiver, you know, no matter who's the quarterback, you look at DeAndre Hopkins, for example, no matter who's the quarterback, if you're a good receiver, you're going to perform well. And if you're going to perform well, then you're going to take attention off of Todd Gurley. I think Laquan Treadwell, I think that he uh, he definitely could make an impact, but I still think that you still have to have that uh, quarterback that really can distribute the ball and control the flow of the game. You don't have necessarily have to be the superstar or anything like that. You don't have to be the next Peyton Manning or Tom Brady, but you want a, you want a guy that can actually control the game, you know, and – uh, I don't think that Case Keenum is that guy, but I think that that's kind of where Jeff Fisher is headed right now. I think he's really leaning towards that. You know, I think everyone's heard about the R- uh, RG3 interest, and he's just like, nope, <laughs> like no interest whatsoever on, on their end. You know, like we got our guy. So I think this season's going to be pretty interesting, you know, just looking at the quarterback play and how it plays out. We know what we got in Nick Foles. No one knows what we have in Sean Mayne. So it's going to be very, very, very interesting. Well, let, let me leave it open to you for some questions. But before I do that, one, one more set. Uh, what, what do you expect? You know, we uh, hit up free agency. We had to get over this issue with the uh, Missouri-California discrepancy between the players' union. Once we resolve that, you can see the last 48 hours, they've been much more active. Guys like Ruben Randall, uh, what's his name coming in? Um, who am I forgetting? Somebody else coming in besides Ruben Randall and then obviously signing Cody Sensabaugh, the cornerback for the Titans. Well, what do you expect from the Rams in the next couple of days as they start getting ready for the draft uh, in free agency to kind of remake this roster? We've got about, what, $8 million in, in cap room, uh, and maybe we have to make a, a little bit more room to sign some free agents, but, or excuse me, some rookies. 
well, what do you expect the Rams to do? They're, they're not going to come up with a big solution at quarterback. We know that unless it's somebody, like you said, like RG3 or somebody off the back of the waiver wire. Well, what do you expect them to do? I mean, barring a trade, and I think that that trade would have to include Nick Foles. I just don't see any way that they bring in another quarterback and keep Nick Foles. So barring a trade, I really don't see them bringing in a quarterback um, unless they move up in the draft to get either Jerry Goff or Carson Wentz. I just don't see it happening. Um, but I do think that they're going to do kind of what they've been doing where they make some moves in the draft. I don't think that they're going to end the draft with six picks. You know, eight or nine teams more realistic for the Rams because they like to move around. Uh, I think it's very possible that one of those second-round picks, you know, they trade down with very, very likely, and in doing so, I think they pick up an extra pick or two. Um, but then we also know that they love to bring in undrafted players, which, oddly enough, oh, yeah. <laughs> since, since they've been in St. Louis, they've had uh, more success with undrafted free agents than they have with later-round draft picks. You know, so it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what type of guys they're really looking at. I think that this offseason is probably going to be one of the more for this uh, Jeff Fisher less need tenure because they are – we said all the time they're kind of on the cusp, but last year was the best performance we saw from key guys that they drafted, built, and molded. You know, you saw extremely good performances from Janoris Jenkins and Tremaine Johnson. Alec Ogles, before he got hurt, was all pro. <laughs> he was playing like the best linebacker in the league. You know, Aaron Donald was an absolute terror. I don't think anyone would have been upset had he won defense or defensive player of the year. You know, so sure. the team that they built, and you look at what they have in place, and you say, okay, well, they really are kind of really close, you know, but they're kind of missing these key pieces. But then they lose these guys, and now you're looking back at the draft and you're saying, well, you only have six picks. I think that it's really going to come down to what type of magic can you work? You know, can you make that trade in the draft to pick up some extra picks? And can you land a couple of more of those undrafted free agents that you did, like Rodney McLeod and Benny Cunningham? Can you pull some of those off to really prove that, hey, we know what we're doing here? Because right now it's just kind of like it's up in the air. You know, you really don't know where this thing is going. It looks like it's kind of crumbling from afar, but. You know, there's really no way to say, you know, set it in stone to say for sure what's going on. We had an interesting question thread that was addressed to your, you and myself uh, from Blarga Muffin okay. on the uh, live okay. thread, asking how many how many games do you think Sean Mannion starts this year? His bets on three. So let me ask you, over under three, do you think he starts more or less than that? Um. It's a tough one because I think it really depends on if Nick Foles is still on the roster. Uh, if Nick Foles is on the roster, probably none. If uh, he's off the roster, then he probably – I'd say that the over-under is four. What, what do you think about the draft? Do you think the Rams – Yeah, I, I'm still hesitant to believe that they're going to spend a big draft pick on quarterback. Do you think they're going to spend early on? On a quarterback? If there's not a trade up, I don't see it happening. Um, yeah. I think that the, I will say this: there's one quarterback I think that you know has been mocked to them a lot, but for all the wrong reasons, and that's Paxton Lynch. I think that uh, yeah. he's a very—it is very possible he ends up as a Ram for this simple reason, but it would have to be in the second round. 
I think he's exactly what Jeff Fisher likes. You know, he Jeff, when you talk about Jeff Fisher and the way he talks about quarterbacks, he's always like, oh, you know, he's tall. He can see over the line. He's got big hands. Those are the guys he likes. Exactly what Jeff Fisher likes, you know, from a size, arm strength, athleticism. He's all of that rolled into one package, but he's wrong. So I think that if there's any quarterback, you know, that he would uh, spend any sort of draft capital on that he didn't move up for, it would be Paxton Lynch. I know you do a ton of scouting. Uh, one of the guys I was talking about with the scout people, incidentally, uh, was Cardale Jones out of Ohio State. Um, you know, a year ago, he was on the verge of being somebody that could have been a first-round pick on the back of essentially two games, three games uh, at the college level, puts in, a, a let's say, a half season and probably dropped his stock into day two maybe even day three. Uh, where do you see Carl Jones going, and do you think he's a viable option for the Rams? Okay, so when I, you know, posted the scouting reports on quarterbacks, I think I made a- Anytime you start with okay, anytime you start with okay, <laughs> so, you know it's going to be deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually that's the case, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think I made my feelings pretty clear on Carter. I think that he is an exceptional, exceptional talent. I mean, the sky is truly the limit for him. Um, my question with Cardell is not, it's nothing physical. I mean, physical, I think that that guy could win you a Super Bowl, but it's the mental side that I look at him and I say, okay, where is he? You know, is he the, the, the guy that can truly be a leader? Is he that guy that's going to be the first one in, last one out? Is he really going to try to hone in on his craft and get better? You know, um, those are the questions I have. And it's really kind of hard to always – that's the hardest part of scouting is to be able to identify that part of a player is, you know, where is his head at, how deep in, how deep into this is he. You know, is he rooted into this or is he just kind of on the surface alone for the ride? Um, I think Cardell Jones is that really unpredictable guy. You see certain qualities of him where I think that he's a good presence in the locker room because you look at the way he meshed with the guys on the sideline and how everyone talks about him and stuff. But then it's okay to be the fun guy and have fun with everyone, but are you really that guy that's going to step up, take charge, and be the leader? You know, and that's I think that's kind of what separates uh, the best from the okay. Um, Cardell, I think that he has the potential to be a Cam Newton type of player, but Cam Newton also has that personality, that charisma, that leadership which is what I wonder about Cardell. I think Cardell would be a great fit for the Rams because of Jeff Fisher's personality. I think they'll get along great. But Jeff Fisher can't develop a quarterback. So, so yeah, they'll get, they'll get along great. He's a great talent. But would this be the best situation for him is the end, is, you know, is the end question. And I think that's what it all comes down to. You know, if you have a good quarterback coach that can really develop the guy, then, yeah, absolutely. But if you don't, then you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. I think that Cardell is a uh, the talent. I think he's a first-round talent, but I don't think he's a first-round pick. Um, I think that he's probably best uh, best suited for the third or fourth round. So after all that, here's the only question I have, Miss Hall. Season 8, Episode 1, what the hell have you been waiting on to call in the special radio, man? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Man, I'm, I'm, you know what? I have no excuse. <laughs> I listened to, you know, I listened like two years ago. I was like, oh, man, I got a call. And then I didn't get around to calling. I was like, man, I got to make sure I call. I got to make sure I call. So I, said, I went ahead and I set a reminder on my phone that said call. <laughs> That's it, man. 
set a reminder. You know, I made sure I cleared my schedule, didn't have anything to do, no one to bother me. Yeah. I said, okay, let me get this call in. <laughs> Good. Well, holler at me, man. We're going to make some time for you moving forward. We're going to have you on a couple other episodes, all right? All right, let's make it happen. I didn't. Misson, everybody. That's uh, Mighty or Misson. Y'all know him, man. He's on the site. Come on, Tertian Time Staff. You know what the deal is. We do. We do have a comment. I want to make sure we try this from the five hundred four uh, season eight episode one Tertian Radio. Starting off the season, we're almost an hour and a half deep. We're going to the five hundred four. Uh, I think this should be Rams fan nineteen seventy six. What's going on? You're on Tertian Radio. What's going on, man? What's going on, my man? Yeah. Hey, I, what's up? I was listening. And I, I, you know, I've seen how much you and and you're even in your uh, comments tonight. It, you're acting like the the loss of Janoris Jenkins and McLeod is just this huge loss when their play hadn't really been elevated until the arrival of Aaron Donald and the this the reemergence of the line and the the dominance of the line over the last couple of years. Janoris Jenkins was he was a match waiting to be burned every game for the first two years he played with us. The guy would be burned yeah, probably once a game uh, and usually for a touchdown every three or four games. The fact that someone paid him $65 million is beyond me. And the fact that someone paid Rodney McLeod $27 million, uh, or it was a $37 yeah. million, $37 million yeah. Uh, yeah. again, is beyond me. He's an undrafted free agent. The guy's a hitter. He's a great player. He's a decent center fielder, but he's a decent center fielder based off the fact that our line has been dominant. And True is actually the better of the two cornerbacks, in my opinion. If you think that Janoris Jenkins is the better of the two, that's your opinion. I have a different opinion than that. I think if you if you don't think that EJ Gaines with Marcus Robeson can basically replace him, all they need is three seconds right now. So I think their coverage ability should be fine uh, to – Replace him. I'm not saying fully replace him. Adequately replace him. Uh, Joiner's probably going to move into um, uh, into the center field position, in my opinion. And uh, we'll probably use Sensabaugh in the nickel package. But we're, we're probably not going to be running that much with Barron coming down. We're, we're, we're playing a new style, right? Now we've got uh, three linebackers, but one of them is more of a safety linebacker hybrid. Would you agree with that? I would. Here's Here's my concern. That's if yeah. everything works out perfectly, right? Well, uh, you, there's you know, a piece from Emmett. That's how it works, right? It, it well, yeah, exactly. It's how it works. It's how it works until we get started. Um, we had we had a great piece from Andy Benoit from the MMQB about how the Rams were going to be the best defense in the NFL uh, last year. About how Alec Ogletree was going to be this phenomenal outside linebacker, and EJ Gaines is. was going to be the best. Yeah, and going to be the best third cornerback in the league, and everything was going to fall into place. And then all of a sudden, you lost EJ Gaines. You had another injury Chris on the Long. outside. Mm-hmm. James, yeah, Chris Long got injured. Robert Quinn got injured. James Lauren, I just got isolated as a That's middle because- linebacker. What what you're saying, I don't disagree with. What what I worry about is that. With all the depth that we've lost, I'm not saying that Janoris Jenkins and Ronnie McLeod no, aren't necessarily replaceable. We haven't. We, we haven't. No, we not have, necessarily. We've, lost, because, we've, we've we, lost two players. We've lost two players that are both replaceable. And if you're looking at that, McLeod is some world beater. You, you know, we've got between Alexander, Cody Davis. I know everybody hates Cody Davis. Okay, Alex, uh, you, you telling me that that our boy McLeod was some world beater in his first two years? 
He wasn't. He was a nobody for two years, and then he came on strong once who arrived. Aaron Donald and Brocker started pushing up the middle, which allowed him to play a little bit, little bit looser. Cody Davis is a fast individual. He tackles well. So I do believe that he'll be able to replace. If not, you, you might use Mo or Alexander over there, or you could use Christian Bryant. You know? yeah, we've got some young talent that we can replace him with. We can even draft. I, I believe he was an undrafted free agent, right? So you can, you can pull in 10 guys and try to make something work out. I, I totally agree with you that, 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 yeah, no, I totally agree with you that we got drafts on those positions. Here's what I would worry is that you're, you're predicating the talent of the secondary on guys like Aaron Donald. What, what I might caution I about is, and, and I, I don't disagree. I can't, I can't disagree that Aaron Donald isn't a great talent. He's, you know, he's fucking mm-hmm. incredible. That, that, what what I worry about is that in the absence of Aaron Donald, I feel more comfortable with Janoris Jenkins maybe than some other alternatives. And I, I'm not necessarily basing those on who we have now because we've still got five months before we know so, what this roster looks like. But what I worry about, what, what I worry about is that with those other guys, if, if we're relying on them to justify a Janoris Jenkins and a Ronnie McLeod, is that when we had – injuries elsewhere, we still had enough sufficient talent to be able to keep this defense afloat. Mm-hmm. And that was with the 32nd ranked offense. If we spend this off season and to spend some of that capital to improve the offense, which I think everybody assuming <laughs> acknowledges the 32nd offense realizes we should, what does that mean well, for the defense if, you, you tell we, me if, if we have the same issues that, you know, Alec Ogletree, Chris Long, Robert Quinn, the same things that you and I acknowledge? When the, if we have something similar to that, not necessarily the same guys, but similar to that, when those guys go down, how do we deal with that attrition on the defense without sacrificing something, well, let I'll alone answer, what we have I'll to deal with on the offense? You, you've got people now like Bryce Hager, I think, that can come in, and he can spell them for a couple of games, okay? You've got Mark Barron, who's playing – he played lights out last year for Alec Ogletree, okay? So if Alec Ogletree does go down, which was a freak accident, you can probably spell him for a few games with Bryce Hager at middle linebacker. You can go into into the depth pool, whatever you need to do. Akeem Ayers over there may be able to take over for a couple of downs. I don't know, but my point is this is – Aside from spending $102 million, what are you going to do? What else are you going to do? You're going to go out in free agency and spend, you know, if you guys, I saw on the, on the, the site, everybody wanted to go ahead and get the guy uh, Weddle from, from San Diego. I don't know if people actually watched Weddle. I'm from the West Coast originally, and I, I, I have the ticket, and I watch a lot of Chargers games. Weddle sucks. It's terrible. Okay, and people are spending big money on him. You're, you're spending big money right now. I guarantee you this. There's going to be a couple of big names that, you know, are going to get let go after the draft where they're going to get replaced with younger because people are going to try to remake their roster. You still have a lot of talent that can be gotten for a lot less money in waves two and three. Everybody needs to chill out a little bit. This, this roster will be fine. We've got a lot of really good draft capital in the first three rounds. We've got four picks. And, you know, I think we're going to just pick up a wide receiver. We're going to get a center. You probably see a corner. Um, and maybe I don't think we're going to draft a quarterback this year. And I'm okay with that. I know everybody hates Mannion. Everybody hates Case Keenum. I think Case Keenum and Mannion, it, given a decent offensive line, which we started to become at the end of the year with the development of 
uh, Havenstein on the right side. I, I think Jamon Brown is going to be a great left guard. And uh, I think that maybe Roger Saffel might stay healthy. But, you know, uh, I think we, we bit the bullet last year when we drafted all of our young guys. And I think they're coming around. We'll probably get a center in the second round. I think we have a center in the second round. Tim Barnes is not an adequate backup. He's not an adequate backup, but he's a decent backup. And I think our line will be a lot better. At the beginning of the year last year, Foles was running for his life. He wasn't equipped to play in that particular uh, setting. I think Case Keenum is a much better quarterback. I think if you give the kid an offseason, you give him a chance with a, a number number one wide receiver like Laquan Treadwell, and you've got a, a back like Todd Gurley running the ball, um, and I think if you can keep the right side of the line with Ann Saffel, they've shown that if Saffel is next to a good right tackle, they can really open up a hole. I think that'll take a lot of pressure off of Keenum. And and I think Tavon will uh, really come on again this year. He, he flashed a lot of style last year, and I thought he played really, really well. And I think with an outside threat, we'll be a lot better offense. And we don't really need to be much better than the 15th overall offense. If we're the 15th overall offense and our defense plays as well as it did last year at the end of the season, I think we go, you know, 12 and 12 and four. If at very worst, 11 and five and make the playoffs. Linda, hold on. <laughs> that was the, the best call I could have possibly hoped for. But where where have you been, man? Everybody accusing me of being I, listen, negative. I'm, I need I'm, that kind of listen, optimism, man. Well, you are. I'll be honest with you, my friend. You're super negative on the site. I've been a Rams fan before. <laughs> you, you you are about as negative as it gets on the site. Every every listen, No one hates Jeff Fisher more than me. There's not a person on the site that hates. I I call for Jeff Fisher's head when he first came out with his. Again, we're going to keep things very vanilla. Uh, in the preseason, uh, we're, we're not really game planning for it because I'm an asshole and I don't believe in getting my team prepared. Uh, we'll go ahead and do the season and we'll probably be very mediocre over the first three or four games because I don't believe in getting prepared uh, until we're, we play a, a division game. Then I'll get prepared because he's an idiot and he needs to go. But we do need to keep uh, Sneed. I think Sneed is doing a good job. Um, I, I really didn't uh, – let's face it, the Baron move a couple of years ago. I, I didn't even think that anything of that, but look how it turned out. Um, he gets away Chris Gibbons um, because we weren't really utilizing. He gets a draft pick out of it. He 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 got rid of Bradford, but it was a move. These are things that didn't happen five six years ago. So I think Snead's doing a great job. I just think we're hampered by a bad coach. And to be honest with you, I know a lot of people aren't going to like it. I, I really do think um, I've been a fan. I had season tickets in L.A. for ten years from the 80 to 90, or actually from 84 to 94. But um, I really do think that there was a lot of um, bullshit going on, and, and, and they really weren't playing up to their potential based off the fact that they really wanted to decimate the, the fan base in St. Louis to, to facilitate the move. It was a lot of major league going on there. I don't know if you know the, the plot of the movie, but I, I do believe that they didn't play up to their potential based off the fact that they wanted to decimate the fan base in St. Louis to move to, to L.A. That's my opinion. I'm a big L.A. guy. I wish they were in L.A. a long time ago. I hated, uh, I won't name her, but I hated her because they moved. But I really do think that that was the case. And anybody that doesn't think that that's the case, a little bit by, a little bit naive. 76, my dog. Out of the 504. Now, I know damn well where the 504 was. Where are you calling from, Vanola, man? Uh, I'm calling from Metairie right now. But, uh, Metairie? Yeah. <laughs> 
doesn't matter. But uh, I've been a Rams fan for 40 years. I, I haven't missed a game in 40 years. So, you know. Um, it, yes, uh, we, we got to build up the Louisiana roster of Rams fans. What were you going to say, man? What I was going to say is, listen, I think this year um, it'll be a much better year, and I'm making a bold prediction right now. Chris Long is going to sign with the Patriots before tomorrow night. Before tomorrow night? He signed it. It's already a done deal. It happened 30 minutes ago, man. It did? It did. Come on. See, I didn't know that. Didn't know that. See now, yeah. that's the difference, man. See, that's what happens. I can hear, I can host Herschel Radio and still manage the site while I'm doing it. I'm trying to write the damn site, but I can't get anybody to put it on the site for me. But I no, appreciate no, you calling I, in, man. I, yeah, I didn't know that. All right, man. You have a good one. No, I'm telling you. Hey, seventy six, everybody. That's a Rams fan since nineteen seventy six. Everybody, I'm trying to write while I'm trying to host the show. Uh, Chris Long, yes. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, heads in New England Patriots, and he's right. He's uh, heading in the right direction. Going to be a good sign-up for them. I uh, got a couple calls to roll through. We got about five minutes before Blog Talk Radio uh, cuts us off. Let's see if we can roll through them. If anybody wants to pick up on some of these lines, we got 317-735. That's area code 317. First three numbers, 735. You're on Tertia Radio. What's going on? First chance. Second chance. Third chance. Goodbye. Second caller from the 314. From the 314. Oh, no. What's going on? You're on Tertia Radio. What's going on, man? First chance. See, I'll, I, I know a lot of people get annoyed by this kind of stuff, but I like the opportunity to bring these guys on. 314, second chance, third chance. Gotta go. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of podcasts that don't allow people to call in, and I understand why they do that. It's because they want to provide a tighter, you know, show for people to understand this this content uh, and discuss what's going on with the teams and what's going on uh, between the front office and you know the drafts and things like that, and, and things based on the timeliness. But I like the opportunity to talk to people coming from. Uh, the outside the uh, staff, and, and that's what we don't have in a lot of places in the SB Nation, and certainly what I, I like to include in terms of Tertia Radio. So coming from uh, the 501, oh, God, the 501. That means Little Rock, Arkansas. That could be – they could be – no, 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 no. They could, they could be my worst nightmare. It could be – of all people – Tevin Browner, tell me it's not the truth. It's the truth. I'm here. <laughs> You're supposed to be in Seattle, Tev. What's going on, man? Look, man, I'm too I'm too cheap to change my phone number. I don't have the time. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep this phone number because I can't use it anymore. <laughs> Look, Joe, it, it's, the last it's, two people took my the last two people took my thunder. I was gonna come with a whole bunch of optimism. <laughs> Then I convinced the other two people ahead of me not to answer when you kept giving them three chances. So, you know, I just wanted to... There's a great story to be written about Tertia Radio and Tevin Broner and the fact that you can go back to uh, uh, Kanye West 2013 and, you know, 
early, early season Kanye West and Tevin Broder, and that you know, he, oh, he he had such optimism and such determination, and then 2015, uh, there was Jesus and this brash. Uh, unacceptability of what was in front of him, and then 2016, a life of Pablo moves to uh, moves to Seattle, has no damn respect for for what what made him who he is, and here he is, Kevin Browner calling in search of him. What's up? In the flesh, I'm here. Look, Joe. In the flesh, get out, of get out of my goddamn face. We didn't talk to we didn't talk to Danny from Seattle. And Jeff from Look, people took my thunder already. People took my thunder already. You know, I had a long day on Twitter. Brandon Bates talking about putting Miracle Whip <laughs> on pumpkin pie. And <laughs> Jeff Thomas basically put me in my place. What's wrong with you? Wait, wait, what was the deep for Jim Thomas? He said so. He said something about the Rams bringing in some guy from Kentucky and these small town prospects. I want. I want to know what the beef with is between Jim Thomas and you. I thought you said he had some with pumpkin I we pie. I thought we were friends. <laughs> <laughs> I just said so there you go. the Rams bringing in the cream of the crop. This random offensive tackle that nobody knows from Kentucky, and he basically <laughs> put me in my place. I was like, whoa. Okay, thought we was okay, Jim. I won't tweet you anymore. Now here's the the difference. Before before I can make fun of you about pumpkin pie and Jim Thomas and all these, I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. But (laughs) Tev, you have a legitimate website. You have a home. You you have you have it. You're you're the Rodney McLeod of Tertia Times. You're the Rodney McLeod of Tertia yeah. Times. You work yourself you work yourself up as an undrafted free agent. You work yourself up <laughs> through the depth chart, and now you signed a free agent contract with the About dot com. I did. What's going on with that? Man? Hey, you know, brings a kid of mine. I just think about it, but I am at la rounds about dot com again. Oh, la rounds. You got. It, 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 this is this is a podcast for people to understand. It, you got to say it three times in a row. So say it three times in a row straight. Got you got to enunciate. Right, Here we go. Kevin Broder, what is your new home site? L A Rams. dot about. dot com. L A Rams. dot about. dot com. L A Rams. dot about. dot com. You know, on that website, you're going to get a lot of great content. You know, we're going to try to do stuff. If you don't trust your Metro, (laughs) I'm going to shoot you. Come on. Hey. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Look, check that website out. Anyway, Joe, I know we don't have a lot of time. I just want to ask one question. One question, because I know you're a busy guy, and blog blog time radio is going to cut us off, or whoever they're called. So. How do you feel about Ogletree moving to middle linebacker? How I, I don't care. I, it, it, <laughs> of of the of the of the hundred things that could affect the 2016 Los Angeles Rams, that may be in the top hundred. Otherwise, it doesn't even you, matter. You don't, man. How do you, how you, do don't you feel about it? Of, you don't think it's important to finally have a middle linebacker that can move ten yards? 
down the field in less than five seconds? Sure. Like who, who, who's gonna, who's going to fill the outside linebacker position? We got Mark Barron. <laughs> we, had, we, had, we, had, we had Mark Barron last year. <laughs> we didn't have Ogletree last year. Look, we're going to have Ayers come in 10 snaps a season. We have Hager come in 10 snaps a season. I'm fine. I like, I like the Bryce Hager talk. <laughs> That's the second <laughs> reference to Bryce Hager we've had since 76. <laughs> come on. Now you, Bryce Hager. Him. I forgot we had him on the team for a while. <laughs> I had I had no idea Bryce Hager was such a substantial substantial He's the Isaiah Pete of the defense. Maybe there's Jordan. Yeah, well, here here's here's what's great. It was a great inside joke for Isaiah Pete while you were around. If, if Bryce Hager is going to be an inside joke, that's great. But if we're going to try to put him in the middle of the lineup, we need to figure out something. <laughs> Because Isaiah Pete, as long as funny as it was, we didn't have to rely on them because the Rams, the Rams got them redrafted there every year. Zach Stacy, yeah. Trey Mason, uh, Todd Gurley. Well, who are they going to draft it? Nobody's nobody's mocked the Rams to draft a middle linebacker outside of maybe Reggie Ragland, but a lot of people are putting him at outside uh, linebacker side of uh, Alec Ogletree. Yeah, a, and that's the, that's the noise they make. Uh, that's the that's the noise they make is when they draft him. <laughs> is, Ugh. Well, what, what's the decision if they decide to put somebody in their linebacker core in the middle between them? I think that's a big concern. That's true. I mean, I'm sure we will. We can always get Jalen Smith if he Jalen Smith see you in 2017. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know they don't care about this year. Why should we? They don't. They I don't mean, care about this year, and they they didn't gonna, care about last year, and they didn't care about the last two years, and that's. They, Tev, that's that's what I think. That's what I think is most interesting, man. We got fit. I got 15 minutes to wrap this up before. We, we, this is episode one. Everybody accuses me of being negative. Somehow I got through an hour and 45 minutes before I hit my negative zone. I blame you, dog. <laughs> Look, I heard everybody being so optimistic. Everybody being so positive. So I had to bring the negativity down. I'm sorry. Look, if it makes everybody What is the new site? Where do they need to go? It's about.rams.com? LARams.about.com LARams.about.com Yes, sir. You got to go hit up Tevin, everybody. He, he grew up from Tertial Times. This is, this is what we do. It's like the Jurassic Park. You, you come up to Jurassic Park, you go to Lost World, Jurassic Park 3, and then you get to Jurassic World. Tevin Brother, everybody, from LARams.about.com. Yes, sir. So, Joe, I heard you. My bad. <sighs> Tevin from the old school. 76 from the old school. Bryce Hager from the new school, as I say in the new thread. I, I think that, that as we wrap this up, I think that's part of the problem. We're wrapping up Season 8, Episode 1 for uh, Tertial Radio. 
that's part of the problem with the new school is that we'll look at Bryce Hager as a functional part of the uh, inside linebacker core for the Rams. Uh, it's not necessarily that James Laurinaitis left and he needs to be replaced. That's not true. What's true is that the defense had enough talent between Laurinaitis, Alec Ogletree, Kim Ayers, the front four. Certainly nobody would deny the rotation that they had on the defensive line. Uh, that secondary, Janoris Jenkins, Trumaine Johnson. Even though E.J. Gaines was injured, you had LaMarcus Joyner behind him, Marcus Roberson filling in for depth. And then at the safety position, T.J. McDonald, Ronnie McLeod, Maurice Alexander, uh, three-man depth chart. And you've lost, you, you've had some attrition there at the defensive side of the depth chart, and the Rams don't necessarily have an answer for that. And if they spend uh, 2016 NFL draft picks to fill those in, that means they're not spending those draft picks to be able to fill in what they had with the 32nd overall offense in terms of yardage uh, for 2015. I think that's the biggest problem is that the Rams have all these options. There's plenty of reason to address the defense and plenty of roles to address. It's not just Chris Long as a positional defensive end. It's not James Laurinaitis as a uh, intellectual middle linebacker who can identify the kind of coverages that necessarily don't require him to be the kind of athletic uh, or cover guy. that a lot of middle line, not necessarily like a Luke Keekly. I know a lot of people try to make these uh, kind of racist, let's say, uh, identifiers where, you know, Luke Keekly is a white middle linebacker, James Laurinaitis is a white linebacker, therefore the same. That's not necessarily the case. Uh, Luke Keekley is much more of a physical downfield middle linebacker, where James Laurinaitis is a more of a cerebral uh, upfield linebacker. So lets everybody make plays in front of him, certainly the front four, and allows his secondary to kind of cover the shell alongside him and force uh, the opposition to play uh, in front of him into that five, six, seven-yard bubble beyond the defensive line. That's what the Rams did. They did it successfully. But I think the problem is that moving forward, they're going to have to replace some guys if they want to do that as consistently as they did in 2015 and before that. And that's really what they're facing. Um, losing George Jenkins, losing Ronnie McLeod. You've got some defensive uh, attrition that they're dealing with. And on the offensive side, losing Jared Cook as much as people like to hate him. Uh, the Rams got to do some things to kind of put this offense back together, and that's just to get it back to where they were as the 32nd overall offense in the league in terms of yardage. They've got big issues. Quarterback, certainly chief among them, but I don't know if they're going to solve that. Uh, but if they don't, it's going to be a long time coming for Jeff Fisher and Les Snead. Even if they do get this extension that – Everybody's talking about. We've got plenty of calls. I want to thank the callers for calling in. Finally, t- almost two hours deep into season eight, episode one. It's been a phenomenal time on Turf Show Radio. 
we also had Jeffrey Gray, a man from Red Cup Rebellion. That's Jeff underscore Gray, SBN, at Red Cup Rebellion. All one word if you want to follow the site. Danny Kelly, field goals, all one word. You guys know Danny if you don't get the work. T-Bron, T underscore Braun, Tevin Broner. Uh, we also had Masone Adiasora, Mighty Or Masone. Fall Tension Times. I'm going to do it, man. It's 2016. We're in Los Angeles. Uh, w- one thing that I want to address at the end of this, and I'm going to make it incredibly light because uh, we've written about it, and I just don't feel uh, that a podcast is the necessary place to do this, but uh, whether it's me being negative or St. Louis being salty or whatever, we're moving forward, and uh, the coverage is going to do better than I can to explain why that's the best way uh, to carry the Rams and carry Tertia Times ahead because it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about the Rams. It's about us as a family. And that's what it means to be uh, part of the, part of this movement. And, and part of what what we've done together as over the last decade is that we love the Rams. And we're talking together. And we love following them. That's why we're on Tertia Times. That's why we're on Tertia Radio, man. So I want to thank everybody for calling in. I want to thank everybody for being the guest. Jeff Gray. Danny Kelly, Tertiary Radio, Season 8, Episode 1, man. We here. We major. We major. Tertiary Radio, St. Louis, Los Angeles. We major. Let's do it now.
RB, no speedball brown. Fastest man in the whole damn town. Cars and ladies are a part of my creed, but more than that, I feel the need for speed. This is Tetris, how to make a run. With shades on, I can catch a BB in the dark. So now you're ready, and I'm sure you'll agree. The ramming is fun when you're ramming with me.
you call me and you say, hey, we're about to die. It's been fun following the Rams. Peace. Chase Kino. Nick Foles. The end is nigh. How about you, boy? Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.